Oh God, deep, deep river, one river that's left, the mighty Jordan, and then the promised land. We want to cross over. We want everything within us wants to cross over, but we, we can't cross over alone. There are so many who don't know that in this dark night that's rising, there is a light that can save them. Our final part in this short mini-series, let the teaching be clear. And may the Spirit of Christ take our fear and give it, replace it with hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I appreciate what Tassi said just a moment ago about fear. I was talking with somebody this week who said, you know, Dwight, anytime I start talking, I, I hear somebody start talking about the second coming, and I just feel this fear come over me. And so we sat down together with a whiteboard and kind of explored what would cause this fear. I want you to listen carefully to the ending of today's teaching. The ending of today's teaching is why you do not have to fear. Now, before we get to it, there's a little bit of fear. I'm going to start with some fear. 24-year-old Ph.D. grad student James Holmes, when he stepped into that Aurora, Colorado theater just a few minutes past midnight, dressed up as Batman's nemesis, the Wild Joker, as he began to slowly and methodically massacre the stunned moviegoers, in that instant, we saw compelling evidence that indeed the dark night, N-I-G-H-T, the dark night is rising. It's rising as we speak. Think about this week, just this week. The assassination of the U.S. ambassador to Libya now calls into question any promise of an Arab Spring that we were clinging to 12 months ago. This week, Israel's continuing agitation to the world community, calling for the destruction of Iran's nuclear program, ostensibly before Iran can act out its own prayers for the destruction of Israel, threatens to open a Pandora's box. Only Almighty God knows the contents therein. This week on Thursday, the Federal Reserve made their much-anticipated announcement decision to implement QE3, quantitative easing. It's just a euphemism for churning up the printing presses, printing more dollars, infusing society, infusing our nation with that extra flow of money. But every time a, a QE takes place, it is a somber reminder that we are on the edge not only of hyperinflation, but it's a reminder that the nation and globe teeter on an economic edge. And all of that just this week just this week. So I'm in blogosphere a few weeks ago, and I see a piece written by, I don't know, a man, a woman, I don't know, it's unsigned, title of the piece, Why Are So Many Bad Things Happening to America? So here's a little bit, of more, a little bit more fear to confront. Sometimes reality has to be confronted, whether it makes you happy or sad, afraid or courageous. I'd like to suggest we have every reason to be courageous with hope. But listen to this. Uh, so there's a little preamble, paragraph. Let me read a line or two from this. Why do so many bad things, why so many bad things are happening to America? Question mark. Have you ever wondered why things have been going so badly for the United States in recent years? Our economy's falling apart. We've been plagued with heat, drought, and endless natural disasters. Our cities are absolutely crumbling. We just keep getting involved in even more wars, and Americans are more anxious than ever before. So why are so many bad things happening to America. Why do we lead the world in so many bad categories? Why does nothing seem to be going right? Well, there is stuff going right, of course. I, I woke up this morning to a brilliant blue sky with sunshine. That's going right. There's a lot going right. 
But why does it seem nothing's going right? Are we under some kind of a curse? It is almost as if we have entered a perfect storm that keeps getting worse. Perfect storm being an American phrase that describes the, the, the simultaneous arrival of circumstances whose composite produces a crisis. Perfect storm. The author of this blog then goes on to list 18, connect the dots, 18 realities, bad news realities, that indicate we are moving towards something impending. I'm not going to read the 18. I'm going to read 16 of those to you. I'm not going to read the comments in between them. Let me just call them out. Number one, heat and drought. Well, you knew that from this summer. Number two, wildfires. You've heard that. Number three, tornadoes. Apparently, 2011 was the worst year for natural disasters in U.S. history. Interesting. Uh, number four, economic collapse. We talked about that last week. If you weren't here last week, we'll give you a website in a moment. You go to the website. Six dots between today's economic condition and the end of the world. Six dots that you can connect to get there from here. Uh, number five, poverty explosion. I was reading the paper during breakfast Thursday morning. We have now reached 15% of the American populace, poverty level or lower. Poverty level or lower, this affluent nation. Number six, the death of American cities. Well, you've, you're tracking that. Number seven, the increase in crime. Anybody living near Chicago has heard the talking heads wondering, why is it so bad in Chicago this summer? Number, number eight could be a factor, gang violence on the up. Number nine, war. Number 10, anxiety epidemic. The top three nations on the planet who experience anxiety. Number one, the U.S. Number two, Colombia. And number three, New Zealand. We're number one. Number 11, drug, drug addiction epidemic. We have the highest rate of drug, illegal drug use in the world. Number 12, child abuse epidemic. Here's a new one for me. The United States has the highest child abuse death rate on the entire planet per capita. Number 13, teenage pregnancy. Teenage pregnancy rate is the highest in the United States. Number 14, divorce epidemic. Today, the United States has the highest divorce rate in the world by a very wide margin, the blogger writes. Number 15, $6 trillion national debt. That was our focus last week. Listen to it if you weren't here. And finally, number 16, political nightmare. Congress today has the lowest approval ratings in any time in history, and both political parties aren't much higher. So the blogger ends, perhaps we really are cursed. So do you have any opinion about why so many bad things are happening in America? He asked his readers, and the readers start logging in. And I was intrigued with their responses. Listen to, listen to this one. I thought this was rather provocative, <clears throat> David Schantz. We turned our back on God as a nation. Read Deuteronomy chapter 28 to see for yourself, God bless America, God save the republic. Ladies and gentlemen, you just think about it for a moment. If we have turned our back on God as a nation, then getting our nation to turn back to God might become somebody's idea of a solution, and that's exactly what we don't need because once the nation takes that on as its agenda, a little book called The Great Controversy's Final Scenario is immediately doable. Somebody reacts to David Schantz. His name is Chris Gerber. David Schantz, I could not have said it better myself. Oh, but will people listen to this reason? I doubt it. We're living in the run-up to the tribulation, a.k.a. also known as the last days. It is God's will that what is happening to America happens. Unless we all turn back to God in repentance, seek forgiveness and a right relationship to Jesus Christ, just like it was in the old days of America when we were so prosperous. We weren't any more religious in the old days of America. Don't let them fool you. But that's the kind of thinking that can lead mass movements of sudden paradigm shifts saying, yeah. Very interesting, a little book called Education. 
classic on Christian education. In that book, I found a line that describes the psyche, the psyche of this generation in the dark night rising. Let me put it on the screen for you. Look at this. The present is a time of overwhelming interest to all living, rulers and statesmen, men who occupy positions of trust and authority. Keep reading. Men and women of all classes have thinking men and women of all classes have their attention fixed on the events taking place about us. They're watching the strained, restless relations that exist among the nations. They observe the intensity that is taking possession of every earthly element, and they recognize that something great and decisive is about to take place, that the world is on the verge of a stupendous crisis. Fear, you got it. Those words strike fear in any heart. Why I don't have to fear, don't miss the ending of today's teaching. Why I don't have to fear. For three Sabbaths in a row now, we've been pondering how dark is this dark night rising. We come to the final piece in our theme text. We'll go back to it. 1 Thessalonians. Open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Once again, you didn't bring a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you. It will be page 796. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll pick it up in verse 1. I'm in the NIV. I like the NIV rendering of this better than any other translation. doesn't matter the translation, though. The points are the same. Whatever Bible you have, you have it on your smartphone, you brought your Bible, let's read together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. 4, verse 2, You know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Verse 3, While people are saying peace and safety, Talked about normalcy bias last week. Hey, it's everything, everything's okay. Well, people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Double negative. No, not. They, trust me, they will not escape. Verse 4, but you, brothers and sisters, you are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Have you ever had a thief break into your room or your home? Have you ever had that? We were, it was a Labor Day weekend. We were in the Northwest uh, going with my family over the Labor Day weekend into the stunning Goat Rocks region of the Cascade R Mountain Range. We were up in the state of Washington, uh, just exhilarating mountain vistas. So the weekend's over. It's late in the afternoon on Labor Day. We drive into my parents' uh, driveway, and it looks like the glass has been broken out of the back door window. And somebody joked about it until we got up close and found out the glass has been broken out of the back door window. We went into the house and everything with a plug on it was gone. Have you noticed that thieves have a nasty little habit of forgetting to send you a postcard indicating when they're planning to be in your neighborhood and the night they're planning to rip off your house? That's precisely the point, ladies and gentlemen. A thief never announces his arrival. Because if he did, you'd be cradling that 20-gauge shotgun of yours on your lap by the back door waiting for him to walk through. The whole point of this metaphor, like a thief in the night, is that you will be caught totally by surprise. You will not know. That point is so critical. Grab your study guide right now. Let's go, ushers. Study guide, please. And let's fill that in. Thank you, ushers. They're coming on this side. They're coming on that side. Good. Bless you all. Make sure everybody here gets a study guide up in the balcony as well. If you're in overflow, ask for a study guide. Those of you watching live streaming right now, we're glad to have you as, as well. You might be watching on television, watching the video cast. Doesn't matter. Go to our website, www. Let me put it on the screen for you first. There it is, www. 
www.pmchurch.tv. Go to that website, and you're looking. You'll see, the, you'll see the Batman. And by the way, people say, Dwight, are you in trouble with that? You borrowed that from Hollywood. No, we actually staged that. That was shot by our own David Sherwin in the Andrews University Studios. So if you're going to sue anybody, sue Andrews. Do not sue us for that. <laughs> that's Brenton Offenbach. Rochelle, his wife, is our graphic designer, and that's Brenton dressed up in Batman. Okay, so you're going to see that all over, splashed all over uh, .tv and click onto that. You're going to part three. You didn't get part two. You watched that at Elysia part one as well. But right now you're concentrating on part three. It says study guide. Let's go. Let's fill it out. Number one, I want you to get this line from the website endoftheamericandream.com. This is the line I quoted just a moment ago from those 18 uh, uh, categories. Connect the dots. Here's that line. It is almost as if we have entered a perfect storm that just keeps getting worse. Write that down. Perfect storm. That's where this dark night is headed, obviously. And then the prediction about what the psyche will be in that last dark night. Let's put the words on the uh, screen again. This is the little book, Education. You have to fill two words in. The present is a time of overwhelming interest to all living. Rulers and statesmen, men who occupy positions of trust and authority, thinking men and women of all classes, have their attention fixed on the events taking place about us. They are watching the strained, restless relations just this week that exist among the nations. They observe the intensity. You see, that's what the connecting dots is about. There is an intensification that's taking place. This is why this generation is like no other generation in the history of the planet. Anybody who tries to tell you this is exactly like the previous has missed the point. Normalcy bias, whistling past the graveyard. Oh, it's just the same. Nothing's changed. Second Peter 3 says that's exactly what they say before the end of the world. All things continue as they have been from, the, from long ago. Normalcy bias. Forget it. All right. They are watching the strained, restless relations that exist among the nations. They observe the intensity, write that word in, that is taking possession of every earthly element. We looked at eight, 16 of them a moment ago. And they recognize that something great and decisive is about to take place, that the world is on the verge of a stupendous crisis. I'm absolutely unapologetic about that word crisis. We face a crisis. Trust me, people who don't have a shred of religion in them are using the word crisis now liberally. So this isn't some little right-wing fundamentalist concoction. The world and the nation is concerned. We are concerned. How suddenly will this crisis strike? Like a thief in the night. That's Paul's point. Like a thief in the night. Jot this down. The thief in the night metaphor describes the caught by surprise. Not stealth, not quiet, not secret. No, caught by surprise. That's the point. The caught by surprise reality of the end of the world. If you had known when he was coming, I would have been ready. I would have been waiting. But I'm not ready. And I'm not waiting. Why? There's somebody who's already worried about the end. I would not... Look, if I had known he was coming, if I had known he was coming, I would have been ready. I would have been waiting. Now, instead, the world will be caught by surprise. How then should we live? I'll keep reading, please. Verse uh, 4 again. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You don't have to be surprised. You can connect the dots. you got a brain informed by faith. You should not be surprised. Verse 5, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, verse 6, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Verse 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. 
But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Did you catch that? I mean, I, I, you, did, you didn't catch it. Apparently this night will be so dark and so dangerous that body armor will be essential for spiritual survival. Body armor will be essential to survive. How dark is this night anyway? In our continuing effort to connect the dots, I want to share with you a darkness that I fear may eventually snuff the light completely out, and we are not immune to this darkness. Some are not even aware of this creeping, hemorrhaging darkness in society, particularly in my own community of faith, which has excelled at focusing on the apocalyptic prediction of a geo-religial political power of the Dark Ages experiencing a phenomenal resurgence just before the end. We are so focused on religious developments, we could be caught by surprise. I live in a community of faith watching the religious world all the while stealthily. There is a burgeoning spread of a very different sort of darkness that now threatens to engulf every society, both the East and the West. And I'm talking about the rank darkness of paganism. 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 I want you to consider two forms of paganism that we face, that we are susceptible to. Two nefarious forms. Would you jot it down? I want to make sure you have the word paganism in your study guide. Consider two nefarious forms of paganism that now assumes, that paganism now assumes in our society. Form number one. It, uh, paganism in this form has a credo. There is no light. It's the credo of the paganism of atheism. Write that word in atheism. There is no light, no God, no divine light, no eternity, no religion, no faith, no hope. In the airport this week, I came across Christopher Hitchens' last book before he died, title of the book, Mortality. Christopher Hitchens, you surely have heard of him, one of the brightest and most caustic and acerbic critics of religion and faith, the British-American best-selling author, journalist, essayist, whose pieces in the Atlantic magazine influenced the thinking of thousands of readers. Christopher Hitchens, who called himself an anti-theist. Now, I'm not an atheist. I'm anti. I'm against God. In 2007, his book, God is Not Great. How would you like to write a book with that title? God is Not Great sold a half a million copies in this nation in, two, in June 2010. Hitchens, heavy smoker, heavy drinker, was diagnosed with esophageal cancer. He claimed his life December 2011, just a few months ago. Mortality is a collection of his broodings as he approached his painful death, the last chapter being a disjointed collection of his final thoughts that his wife found on his laptop and scraps of paper after he died. Standing in O'Hare Airport, I read the last chapter. You cannot help but sympathetically reaching out to this man who with no hope and no faith and no light attempts to bravely face his cruel end. There is no light is the credo of paganism we know as anti-theism or atheism. How sad a world with lightless darkness. How sad that world. The suave the suave paganism 
that we imbibe thanks to the news media, thanks to the entertainment industry, thanks to the American Academy, the suave paganism, lightless darkness. But how much sadder, how much sadder a community of believers who dabble in the heady pursuit of scientific atheism, of behavioral atheism, of humanities atheism, of arts atheism, how sad and how susceptible the children of light can be. Listen carefully. It is a dangerous paganism, this paganism of the dark night, for when you read these authors, trust me, I've read a few, you find yourself drawn to this exhilarating notion that you are being made privy to the high mysteries of the brightest elite and the most privileged few. You feel yourself a member of that intellectual inner circle, forgetting that it is a godless inner circle. But it, it's just like the heady rush that Eve experienced at the behest of the Lord of Darkness. Wow, this is something. It's what C.S. Lewis calls the brilliant movements of our age that I so often at such risk desire. There's something drawing in an academic community, especially where we are widely read. There's something that draws us. Come on, isn't, isn't this something? Oh, this feels great. Anybody who's read these works knows exactly of what I speak. I've sensed that heady rush. Beware the danger of the dark night of paganism, this paganism of atheism, anti-theism. Beware. I'm just going to have them read it for a while and they'll learn from this. Beware. Beware what you read. You got a brain? Use it. Two forms of paganism, though. One of the forms is, has this credo, there is no light. The other form has this credo, the darkness is the light. This is the credo of paganism as hedonism. Jot that down, will you please? First was atheism. This one is hedonism. You know what hedonism is, don't you? This little pantheon of gods and goddesses who cluster about our pleasures, our appetites, and our gratifications, who promise that if we go down this road, oh, our eyes will be open, we'll be enlightened. You know about that little pantheon, don't you? Of course, there's nothing wrong with pleasure and gratification and appetite. We were created by our Creator to enjoy the cornucopia of those delights. But listen carefully, please. When we turn these goods into gods, we imbibe them, we enshrine them as if they were the source of our ultimate pleasure and our deepest meaning. In other words, our gods, they become these good things, they become our gods when we derive more pleasure from the gifts than the giver. That's the discerning difference. Beware. Anything that turns the good into bad, turns the good into a God. Take sex. You want to talk about sex? Let's talk about sex for a moment. You've heard of it, haven't you? Someone has painfully defined premarital sex as making love to another man's wife. You're not going to marry her. I don't care what you tell her. 
You're not going to marry him. I don't care what he tells you. You're making love to somebody else's spouse one day. It's not going to be you. Is that what you want to do? Damage the goods for somebody else? Well, I've got to have this. The paganism, the dark night of hedonism, self-gratification and pleasure. I have to have it. No, you don't have to have it. Well, hey, wait, wait a minute, Dwight. We're getting married. We're already engaged, in fact. So once we're engaged, it's okay. Rubbish. That is a Bible word, isn't it? Rubbish. Rubbish. You have no guarantee, number one, you're going to be, you have no guarantee that you're going to make it all the way to that altar. And number two, when you get to that altar, the gift that was waiting for you is no, there, is no longer there. Let me tell you who you're really dealing with. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I put this on the screen for you. I like it in the NIV first. We'll read it in the NIV. No, Paul says, but the sacrifices of pagans, we're talking about paganism, the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you Christians to be participants with demons. Isn't that amazing? Put it up in the New King James, and then would you fill it in in your study guide, please? I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. I don't want you to party with demons. I don't want you to sleep with demons. I don't want you to give your life to demons because that's who rules the dark night. Did you think God ruled the dark night? No, God is light. There's only one Lord of darkness. Oh, but the, the dark night, capital K night, the dark night. Oh, he has a way about getting around looking like the Lord of darkness. Look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. For Satan himself, jot it down, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Whoa. The second credo of paganism, the darkness is light. Who do you suppose came up with that credo? The Lord of the darkness, of course, who masquerades as an angel of light. Duped Eve, and he has duped me, and he has duped you. But it doesn't have to remain that way forever and ever. And the children of light, God bless them. The children of light, are they susceptible to the dark night of rank paganism? Oh, yes, we are. Is there any hope for us? Here we go. Let's go. Here's the hope now. Here's why you do not have to be afraid. Pick it up again in verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate. One translation puts that as, 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 a, uh, as body armor. And the hope of salvation as a helmet. Verse 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is this Lord Jesus Christ? Aha! Verse 10. He died for us on the cross so that whether we are awake when he comes or asleep in death, we may live together with him forever and ever. There it is. Now, the point is worth reiterating, please. The very fact that God provides body armor for the dark night rising is evidence enough that the dark night rising obviously, obviously poses a serious threat to the children of light. It's dangerous. It's death in the darkness. Unless, and here's the good news, the flip side of the bad news is the good news, unless you have the provision of God for the darkness, you have body armor, you'll be okay. You'll be okay if we 
put it on, like I'm going to do right now with a bulletproof vest. You're going to see it right here. We have with us in both services today, God bless him, my friend, Chief Dale Hodges, Chief of Campus Safety and Security. He has a bulletproof vest. I'm happy to tell you that he is not going to test it once I put it on. <laughs> Chief, bless your heart. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. This, and, and Chief, remind me again, you, you said it in first service. What, what is this material? Kevlar. Kevlar. I got to just tell you this. This is an aside. So I went over to see Chief before first service began. And I would just you know, say, you, you got the uh, body armor? Yeah. He said, I got it. And a, a, a church member behind said, hey, wait a minute. Why? Hey, she said, why were you driving like Jehu this morning? You cut us off. I wish you wouldn't talk about my driving habits in front of the chief of security on this campus. So that was very impolite. And I didn't cut you off. It's a circle. And once you're in the circle, you just got to wait. <laughs> so anyway, I apologize if it looked like I cut you off. <laughs> so I have this bulletproof vest on, Kevlar. Thank you, Chief Hodges. May you never have to wear this. I have this. This will stop a bullet up close. This will stop a bullet from a distance. This will stop a knife. This is body armor. Protects my most vital organ, my heart, right here. This thing works. I got to tell you this. This is amazing. This thing only works when I put it on. If I refuse to wear the body armor, no bets are off. You're on your own. You have to have the body armor, and that is Paul's point. You've got to put it on. If you're not wearing body armor in the last dark night rising, you are sitting ducks for the hunting lord of darkness. You must wear the body armor. You're saying, Dwight, tell me, what does that mean to wear the body armor? Let's put it on the screen. Paul uses the same Greek word again and again. He loves this word. So we just had it here. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on, eudeo, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, as a bulletproof vest, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. All right? So Paul says, you got to put this on. Now notice the next verse, Romans 13, verse 14. He's just said, the night is far spent, the day is at hand, but put on, same word, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So put on the armor in one verse, put on the Lord Jesus Christ in the other verse. There's one more, Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So, how do you put on Christ? You're baptized. In fact, let's do the little syllogism here. A equals B equals C. Let's put it on the screen. A, put on the body armor, equals B, put on the Lord Jesus, equals C, be baptized into Christ Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, that's how you wear the body armor. In fact, keep your pen moving. Baptism into Christ Jesus is God's most protective body armor for the children of the light who must live in the dark night at the end of time. That's why you don't have to fear. Bring it on. It doesn't matter how it comes. It doesn't matter when it comes. You've got body armor. You've put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been baptized into Christ. You're okay. You're safe when you stay with him. Say, so how's that work? Well, come on. When I put on the Lord Jesus Christ, when I put on the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm putting on the light of the world. 
He said, I'm the light of the world. And when I put on the light of the world, I'm putting on the King of Calvary. And when I put on the King of Calvary, it was at the cross where Jesus shattered the dominion of darkness. He throttled the Lord of darkness. He is a defeated foe. This armor, he can never, ever penetrate as long as you live. It's that good. Christ won. It is finished. He won. The dark Lord knows it. He doesn't want you to be drawn to the Lord of light. He wants to distract you. He doesn't want you to connect with Jesus. He does not want you to be baptized. If you're not baptized, trust me, he's already whispering in your mind, if, if Dwight goes for an appeal, say no, say no. Do not say yes. He doesn't want you to be baptized because when you're baptized, you put Christ on. This thing is no good unless you wear it. Could you put that on the screen? Put on Christ. That's, if I were tweeting a line from this teaching, the last portion of 1 Thessalonians 5, that's the teaching. Put on Christ. Just put him on. Put on Christ. Put on Christ. So, are you baptized? Are you baptized? Are you baptized? You're not baptized? What are you waiting for? The end of the world? It's too late at the end of the world. It's too late. You decide today. Take out your, take out your Connect card, please. Pull it out of your, your, uh, your worship bulletin right now. Take out your Connect card. It looks like this. Little card. Put your name. Put an email address there that we can read because there's going to be material that you may want, and I'll give you that opportunity to, to ask for that material. It'll come to you. Everything comes to you in cyberspace. Fill out your name and an email address, any other of the demo, demographic information, that's fine. Let's turn to the back. We call this the My Next Step portion of the card. Box number one. And by the way, those of you who are watching on online, we got this for you. Those of you watching a video cast, doesn't matter what time of the year you got, you finally got a hold of this teaching, you go to our website. This Connect card will be under the teaching. It says Study Guide. You also get the Connect card. You go to that Connect card. You call that 800 number, and we will arrange for these decisions. The materials you need, whatever, we'll take care of it. So you can do it online. All right, number one, I choose to put on the Lord Jesus Christ by giving first priority to my relationship with Him. That's what I want to do. I want to give first priority. Do I, you know, I can't, I can't just walk away from this teaching without making a decision. I, I want to give Jesus first place in my life. You may have been baptized years ago, a year ago, days ago. It doesn't matter. But today you want to join me in saying, yes, I want to make, I want to put on Jesus by giving him first priority as my relationship. Now, you see the little inset box next. This is my first decision. Look at Dwight. I'm making this decision for the first time. Please send me information on how to grow a friendship with Jesus. The moment you put a check mark there in cyberspace in 48 hours, you will get information on how to grow your friendship with Jesus. We're ready to go. Just put a check mark there. Nobody else is reading your card. You put a check mark. I want to form a friendship with Jesus. Put a check mark there. Here's number three. I choose to put on the Lord Jesus Christ by following him in baptism. Dwight, I have never been baptized. I have never, I don't know why I've been putting it off. Well, I do, but, I, you know, I just kind of just say, well, there'll be a more convenient day. My dear friend, there is no more con convenient day than right now. Today, today if you hear his voice, the Bible says, today if you hear his voice, say yes. Nobody's going to be baptized next week. Two weeks, we're not going to rush you through anything. You take your time, but make the decision today. I don't want to belong to the Lord of darkness. I need this. 
I need that body armor by putting on Christ through baptism. I make the decision today. Put a check mark there. Final box. I would like to prepare for baptism on either November 3 or November 10. Only two Sabbaths this semester. We're having special baptismal services. You can be a part of it. You say, do I like I've done a lot of studying? I mean, I don't like I have to read a 500 books or something. I know what I need to do. Put a check mark there. We'll be in touch with you. We'll help you prepare. You got a bunch of weeks yet. You got time. I would like to prepare for baptism on either November 3 or November 10. You make the decision today. The Lord of Light will move down the pathway with you. You will be okay. No fear. No fear. I got the body armor. I got the body armor. Why should I be afraid? I want to pray over these decisions right now, and then our ushers will come and receive your morning tithes and offerings along with this card or just this card. It's fine. And then we'll do that Q&A. Do that Q&A right after we sing that hymn. All right? Let's pray. Oh, God, the dark night is rising. Three Sabbaths in a row we've been examining the evidence. It's fairly persuasive. Dear God, please. Don't let us move out into this darkness without body armor. What is Paul's point? You can put on Christ. You can have the armor of faith and love and hope. You can be secure in the darkest of nights. Be baptized into Jesus. Follow him. Make him first priority in your life. And Lord Jesus, we all want to make that decision. Long time friends of yours, first-time friends. We all put the checkbox. We, we submit these cards, and my prayer, Father, is that you will seal these decisions, lock them for eternity. May one day we be able to look back to that Sabbath when we made the decision, I will put on Christ. Until then, we do not journey alone. The Lord of light, the light of the world moves with us, for which we are very grateful. In Christ's name, amen.